Hey, 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 it's me, Katie here. Grab a notebook, add a cuppa, and join me in the sociology staff room. Good morning, good afternoon. I don't know what time you're listening. I'm Katie Tyler. Welcome to the sociology staff room. We've got Vicky with us today. Hello, Vicky. Hi. Um, obviously, I'm going to introduce you. You're the subject lead for Key Stage 4 Humanities for Tutors You. So we're going to pick your brains. I know you do stuff for, for Geography World as well, but we're going to pick your brains in regards to Sociology GCSE. So are you right with me picking your brains, first of all? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so I'm just sort of thinking about, I mean, I, I personally was myself, I've taught GCSE Sociology for about 18 years, actually, this first year I'm not. Um, and maybe you might encourage me to come back to it or, or not. It's something I'll just pause for the time being. Um, but we're thinking about sort of those people that haven't taught GCSE sociology before and obviously teach A-level sociology. But they're thinking of bringing this into their sort of, I don't know, their, their curriculum offer for sociology. Um, what sort of things are, you know, look, some of the teachers, I know from their reservations might be, and I this was one of my reservations, was thinking, well, is it too similar to the A-level? Will the students get bored if they took it at A-level and at GCSE? Um, obviously, it's just you're one person that has one view on, on the GCSE sociology. But what are your sort of views as, as someone that sort of subject leads for that in its similarities and differences in regards to its relationship to A-level sociology? Well, I think with um, a GCSE sociology, the two exam boards that actually offer it have the same four compulsory units. So all students do families and education in the first year, and then we all do crime and uh, social stratification in the second year. So there is quite a lot of overlap. So for example, this last couple of weeks, I've been writing an Instagram post for A-level um, sociology. And a lot of it, I'm thinking, oh God, this is stuff that I taught at GCSE. But obviously with the um, A-level sociology, you do have the optionality. So you can choose to, I know, I think education is, is compulsory, isn't it? And crime and deviance is compulsory, but you can choose not to teach families. You can choose not to teach stratification. So there is repetition. It obviously is, um, the content is far less heavy at GCSE. And um, you, you can view it two ways. You can either view it as having providing a really, really good base and a good foundation for A-level or a nice sort of introduction. And then you just mix it up in A-level by choosing different subjects. So I know certainly I've seen on our um, Tutor for You Facebook page, actually, people asking that same question that you mentioned and people in the advice in the comments box saying, well, we used to do this. And what we've now done is we've decided to swap families and households and we now teach global development instead, because obviously it means that it's less repetitious. And I guess the argument would be that if you decided that you wanted to teach families, you wanted to teach all the things they taught at GCSE because they've got a really good basis for it, then you are at risk of boring your students like, you know, death by repetition and essentially teaching the same topics for four years across two exam um, courses is quite is a bit much isn't it but I do think it does mm. give a really good um sort of you know a really broad nice introduction it means that those of you who teach a-level sociology are not starting off with students in year 12 who perhaps haven't really chosen the most appropriate course for them haven't realized that sociology at a-level is really demanding and they sort of view it as a new, quite exciting subject that wasn't on offer at their high school. 
Whereas obviously if they have taught it at high school, they're more um, their expectations of the workload and just how demanding it is a subject are I think are much more realistic. And then perhaps I guess maybe you don't get so many students that are dropping out, perhaps more students that the course is appropriate for. Yeah, so my highlights are really good, but they're the things that I've experienced, definitely. I think at sort of GCSE, I, I know before I taught it at GCSE, um, my level numbers were very, very healthy. Um, and then I think when a well, comp- combination of factors, I think, I think the GCSE meant that the students didn't feel like they wanted to necessarily t- take it A-level because of yeah. the, maybe the, the realisation of, of the workload. So therefore, like you said, you had more students that, had the expectations and they were sort of set in place rather than oh let's just do something because it's just different and interesting it almost become the, the sort of fourth subject choice uh, for, yeah. for students um but then obviously you've got the risk of you know lots of gcse and if you like a level teaching potentially that that can be decreased in the amount of the classes you have there's also something i want to sort of touch upon which is sort of the myths around it and i think you sort of mentioned it when you talked about the hard workload. Um, I myself have, have sort of witnessed that myself. There's sort of a myth around what GCSE sociology is. Um, I think I think if it's not sold appropriately at the first start, there is potential problems that students just think it's a lot of discussion and a lot of debates. What yeah. are your sort of views on that, and how do we overcome that? Because well, it's you want to have that engagement, and obviously. We've had previous guests that said obviously is so important in, into learning. Um, but yeah, myths, how do we overcome them? That's, that's my first one. So when I was making a few notes this morning about the things that we that we were going to talk about, the main one I've said here that is p- people just view it as not being rigorous and it's absolute rubbish. It's such a rigorous subject. I think it's got really massive content. I think the concepts are really tricky. You've got things like key studies that you've got to remember. So students have really got to apply their knowledge, haven't they, to be able to access those top bands in those high market questions. It's an essay-based subject. So I know that certainly when I introduced it to my previous school um about five years ago now the kids we know we 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 started off with all the nice sort of socialization the norms and values the culture stuff that the kids really find fascinating then you start bringing in a bit of theory and they're like oh what is this and then you know you you give them the first 12 marker and they're sort of horrified they don't expect it to be an essay-based subject and what i found in the past like kids going oh well actually we thought it was a bit like pshe and because it you know they see the exam content they see all the topic content they go well that sounds interesting we're talking about poverty we're going to talk about this this and this um so that's i think that's my main myth i mean and it's also it's constantly changing although you know, we do, and we've we've talked about this a lot as a subject team. There are there is a risk of just trotting out the same old boring, really old studies, aren't they? And obviously, some of our main things that we do have to talk about are quite outdated now. But it is a constantly changing discipline. If we think about sort of the last few years with COVID and our, you know the cost of living crisis, that's all really relevant, isn't it? And you know, all it's stuff that's really, really relevant for kids. I also think it is highly valued, and I know certainly there are some. Um, some people that are a bit sniffy about it and i know certainly maybe in the independent sector it's perhaps not offered quite so much as in the state sector but it is a highly valued subject i think it is just as challenging as as geography which is my other subject that i taught for years and years i think it's just as challenging as history and i think yeah so that's my main the main bugbear of me is that people think it's easy and students sort of hop onto the course thinking it's going to be a doddle and like you said the fourth option choice because they weren't really sure what they you know what it involved 
Yeah, no, I think that is, I think one, I think it's a struggle for a lot of the, the sociologists, whether it's doing at GCSE or A-level, I think it, there's a, I could get in a whole discussion about that around sort of the, the parity of steam between, between subjects and, and I feel yeah. like I want to go on a bit of a rant about that, yeah, but, you know, I, I think there's sort of a, a definite sort of assumption that particularly sociology lacks that rigour, which actually, as we know, as, as sociology teachers, that's not the case. And sometimes it doesn't help when sometimes the grade boundaries, I'm trying to be very diplomatic as possible, <laughs> are, are sometimes significantly lower and then uh, for those subjects. And then that obviously sometimes sends that message to those students, you know, or you can just sort of hop on to these schools. I know it's not the same for GCSE because you don't yeah. have to have those grades. But then some schools do have pathways, don't they? So they sort of say, oh, students who are working at this level can do this and those that are doing this can do this. So it's, it's overcoming that. I actually personally feel that the GCSE sociology in some ways, thinking about the notional student, is actually harder than the A-level. Because I think, you know, when you're doing your A-levels, you're doing three to four subjects and you're just drilling deeper. I think, I mean, we're going to kind of talk about it in a minute, is that 12 marker, but doing, yeah. you know, four, four 12 markers is, is intense, you know, yeah. uh, for students. And like you said, the essay expectations are so um, I think it's high. Even even in um, in the Educast, the Educast web actually has 15 markers as well. Yeah. So I think that's a big ask, isn't it, for students when you've already got like, you know, in that paper, you've already got a 12 marker or 15 markers, you've got eight markers as well. So I think, again, that's, I think, I don't know, I think students often come in, they think it's going to be very much discussion based and fun. And obviously it is, a, you know, discussion is a hugely important part of sociology, which draws up its own problems that we can have a think about in a minute. But um. Yeah, I think in terms of just having, a, you know, those students that perhaps choose it as their fourth option choice because they're not really sure what it is, then having this massive subject, this huge content that you've got these essay based that you've got to write in in the exam, I think is really challenging. And like you say, much possibly more challenging than at A-level because at A-level you've got a much smaller focus, you've got more time. And yeah, the content yeah. So, so it's huge. Yeah, and also, as you were talking, I just thought about the ability as well, because obviously GCSE is truly mixed ability, isn't it? Yeah. You know, if you're working within a, the comprehensive sector. Um, but then obviously at A-level, there would have been an expectation they've passed GCSEs to a certain level in order to get onto the A-level programmes. Um, obviously, schools vary on what that, that cut-off point, but they would have definitely got a level of literacy in order to do that. Um, and if they haven't got their sort of certain GCSEs, maths and English have to be done again. Whereas at GCSE, you literally have, I mean, I can't see it on the screen, but you literally yeah. got that level. Um, yeah. So my sort of question yeah. is, in a, in a sort of, how do we overcome some of these challenges? How do we overcome the myth that it's just a doddle, potentially, or it's, it's, it's just a discussion? And how do we overcome the challenge of truly I mean, I have taught some truly mixed ability classes where students yeah, are so you. verbally strong, but they aren't, they can't translate that to an essay. Um, I think it's, it's a lot of just, it's a lot of sort of scaffolding, isn't it? But certainly, and I know that will kind of link a bit more when we talk about the 12 markers in a minute. But um, I started on my very first year, I think I was quite naive because I set sociology up. Um, as head of geography at the time, and I was just asked to set it up, and I made sure that my not subject knowledge was, as you know, bang on. I you know read up loads. I studied it a bit at university anyway, so I tried to get you know this really exciting course up and running, and and it was great. The kids were really engaged, and the you know the numbers were really good, but it was a bit of a shock to the system at just how difficult it was for those lower ability students. And I had um, students with target grades of. Um, 
for uh, probably my in my low ones but actually in re- reality they were probably going to come out of the course with a one or a two yeah, and targets of twos, yeah yeah students right at the other end with their targets of nice it's really difficult so what i found the second year round when i you know got my second cohort in was just making sure from a really early sort of you know op- early October in year 10, get those essays in regularly for homework, give really good scaffolded um, answers. We would practice them using a visualizer um, at the desk, on my desk, obviously on the board, showing sort of, you know, using sentence um, structure, strip sentence starters, all sorts of things there to try and scaffold. Um, I think that one of the other things that I think students really struggle with is the perspective. So I find, think they find it quite dry anyway, particularly when you're coming back four topics and you're still talking about what Marxists thought about this, what did Durkheim say about this, what did, and I think students find that quite dry. So I think obviously bringing that in, try, trying to find a way of doing it in a, um, you know, a re, and, you know in, trying to make it as interesting as, as you possibly can. Um, but also what I, one of the things that I think I found for that was um, the use of who said what, so sort of ma- little matching activity. So you've got the structure strips trying to get kids used to writing really long answers to begin with, but also lots of retrieval practice really early on. So yeah, like I say, like matching pairs is quite a favorite of mine. So who had the warm bath theory and you know that, that sort of thing, that works quite well with students. Um, and I've also, I noted down here is actually one of the th- things that I started off doing really early on, was making sure that at the end of every topic, each child had this nice A3 sheet that was sort of compare and contrast who thought what for every topic. So again, it was like an overview, which was really useful because I think the probably one of the biggest challenges, apart from students taking it, not really knowing what it is, is the fact that there's some really tricky concepts, those perspectives that students get really confused about and having it all on one nice sort of thing that they've written and they can own, I think is quite a good thing. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's getting that abstract knowledge to making it more concrete for them is so, so, yeah. so important. Definitely like that overview. And I think it's, there's always a debate of when do you bring in those essay structures? Do you do, do them early on so they get used to it? Or do you do yeah. paragraph by paragraph? Um, you know, there's a debate out there about when do you start setting essays? Do you do them just in lesson time? Do you do them outside of lesson time? And I think it's I think it's just knowing your group of students and what works for them yeah, and, and what's your why. You know, sometimes, yes, they're not going to they might spend longer on homework doing their essays and they won't be able to do that in an actual exam conditions but then for some of our students they need that time to creatively really underpick um unpick i mean say uh, unpick those sort of literacy skills that they potentially might might not have um i think also i think it's partly i think you're saying as well with those messes that I mean, how do you feel about the recruitment process i mean do you would you set out your store initially to those students saying look this is a this is are you willing to work hard you know yeah, this definitely. is a literacy based subject so that students know straight away well actually i don't really like writing essays that's not yeah. really for me i'm i'm i quite like sort of short exact answers sort of thing and i don't really want to sort of compare and contrast in that same way it, would that be important as well so definitely so um when when i've done open even in the past i've had you know the course content i've had like all the lovely reasons why you should embrace the subject but i've also had like students books for so my current year 10s and year 11s books i might have a selection of those so students can have a look through and just see what it does entail um obviously the textbooks are quite wordy as well aren't they so that's always quite useful making sure that parents are really aware uh, that it is a good subject and that my previous the school that i've just left i didn't I, i taught for a year didn't actually teach sociology there um but it was it had just been introduced as a subject and 
I was talking to a geography class in um, one afternoon and this lad who doesn't, you know, does hardly any writing had said to me, oh, I'm choosing sociology, miss. I think it'd be really good for me. And I sort of said, hmm, well, actually, it's lots and lots of writing. He went, oh, it's just, it's just talking, isn't it? I was like, really isn't. So I think it is really important to make sure that when you are setting out your store, you are really honest, that you're not just trying to recruit and get your numbers up. Because actually, at the end of the day, if you get your numbers up and it's full of students who the course is not appropriate for and have chose it because they think it's going to be interesting, but actually don't want to do the work, then two years later, you've got to explain those results, haven't you, to SLT in an autumn review. And that, you know, that's not fun. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because yeah. you want to engage as many students as possible, one for the yeah. numbers, but also sociology is such an important subject to get those critical thinking skills in place, uh, irrespective of, of, a, of, you know, student skills. But at the same time, if students don't realise there's essays, it's up to them to make that choice. And I think some of, you know, if it's, I remember when I was early, early on in my career, I just wanted loads of, loads of students in yeah, my class, I, and, yeah. I, and, I, and I didn't really tell them. And then I get to the class and I go, Oh, I didn't realise I had to write essays, and I was like, "Oh, sorry." Like I, I thought well, it was just you'd know too that. Late now I've got you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, actually, like there was that amount of movement at GCSE in the first two weeks, and I was, I was like, "Oh, actually, I, I should have said that a lot earlier on because I was so yeah. keen just to get the numbers." And not everyone likes it. Like I want, I'm trying to think of a subject that would be really awful for me to probably be art or something like that. And if I didn't realise <laughs> I had to, you know, draw, I was like, "Oh, so you do." And you've actually that, got to be good at painting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't realise that, I, you know, paint by numbers is not good enough sort of thing. But yeah, definitely those skills. Obviously, the big one is we've talked to about essays, and I know that both examples offer that. Um, you've talked about how you do that through scaffolding. Are there any top tips? Because I I know there's I've seen on the on the, the Facebook pages and other sort of sources how do we how do we teach this? You know. Uh, the essay. I'm gonna go with the twelve marker as such, but I don't. Yeah. Really, I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I don't know enough about the sort of the other sort of fifteen marker. But is there a sort of a, a top tip in a way to address it? You know, like people so, throw away peel paragraphs and you know um, two or. So one yeah. of the things that I've just done quite recently for Teach View actually is I've actually just made this great big sort of twelve marker resource. And one of the reasons I wanted to do it, so obviously there's, it's a useful resource for students, but all and teachers, but also just to get my head back into kind of what the structure of of these big um these big 12 markers are so obviously there are four on four, four on each paper so they're quite you know they are really quite demanding for aqa i think that it's the advantage that we have there is that they are always discussed questions so therefore they are mm. relatively easy for students to prepare for so it's normally a discussion question about what the different sociologists with you know they have a statement that says to what extent or how far would sociologists agree with this statement so it's quite a nice easy one to um to prepare that way. So what I would say, essentially, you're looking to present three paragraphs discussing what each perspective would say. So you might start off with the Marxist, but and, and normally you would say, I would say, start off with the um, perspective which is most related to the thing you're talking about. So if, for example, the question was all about um, to how far would sociology agree with, that the UK is too dependent on benefits? Obviously, you're going to start off with a new right perspective, aren't you? Because they're the ones that have got the biggest, the, the, the most vocal about that. So um, you start off with the uh, paragraph, just sort of agreeing essentially with the statement, um, backing up with examples, obviously trying to get some um, some perspectives in if you can. I mean, there are times where I think it is a bit more difficult to get perspectives in because actually the question might want you to talk about education, for example, but they might want you to talk about in-school factors and things. So therefore, not every paragraph is perspective, perspective, it's other stuff as well. 
Um, but what I would say at the end of each paragraph is it's really important to have like a little evaluative comment. So, for example, you might if you talked all about what the new right think about the sort of the welfare dependency and the benefit cultures, you might then say, however, Marxists would say, but, but, and then, you know, say what they would say. And then that could lead then into your next paragraph about Marxism. So I think it's really important to get that evaluation in throughout, because obviously that 12 marker is really evaluative and you want those students are not going to get into the high bands if they're not presenting a, a decent evaluative argument throughout and then right at the end because you've been evaluating then your conclusion is more of a sort of a quick summary so overall i think that this group of sociologists would agree however you know x y and z would wouldn't and they would think that this is more important and I think because yeah. they are, they all follow that exact sort of, you know, that exact disgusting. I think it's quite, I think it's a real benefit of the AQA spec, whereas EDUCAS, some people believe that EDUCAS is a, a little bit easier to access and the questions are sort of, you know, worded in a way that makes it a bit easier for students. Personally, I've, I've taught both and I don't really think there's much difference between it. But you've got EDUCAS, have got their 50 markers, which um, are discuss or do you agree questions. And um, they also have... Um, nine markers in stratification sort of randomly they don't have them anywhere else and they're always discussed or do you agree you've got eight marker explain questions um and then you've got 12 markers for research methods where that one's that one's pretty easy actually because with a 12 marker for research methods you are just weighing up the pros and cons of a particular research method so that's quite an easy mm -hmm. one to present so you know strengths and weaknesses of questionnaires for example and then backing it up with some theory or, or you know a study that's used it so yeah, i think no yeah it's like we say like obviously it's, it's almost like the 12 markers or the sort of 15 markers obviously 15 markers have got sort of more breadth in the way that they're yeah. um questioned but then the 12 markers have a set, a set formula as such but it's making sure those students are doing that evaluation and it's yeah, and actually absolutely. i think it's even that explicit evaluation has come in it's almost like it feels like you're building up for that a level already without that sort of maybe sort of that depth because obviously there's less names you need to know and the evaluation doesn't have to be as deep, but it has to be there, um, which is quite a nice step, I suppose, stone. But for those, some of those skills, it's I always find students, it's really defining what evaluation means in sociology because I think it means something slightly different. I remember, like, I've personally yeah. taught geography, although I have covered some classes, and they, they used to love TIL evaluation. Um, is that right? T-E-A-L? That's not they possibly that might be something with A level. It's something certainly not something that I've done yeah. with IGCC. Yeah, but um, the the point I was thinking of is that every subject does it looks at it slightly yeah. differently, and they have certain components to make up their evaluation. Like I know in history, you've got to look at the origin of something and the inference, yeah. and so there's all these little components. And I think sometimes it's it's sort of assumed that students know this, but it's really sort of time to sort of break that down and what that means and what that looks like at GCSE sociology. And again, revisiting that at A-level. The one that I also found, oh, sorry, go for it. I think that's the same with all command um, words mm. because I was talking, um, I a few weeks ago, I presented a CPD course down in um, London for GCSE geography. We were talking about this um, because on, um, with geography, describe questions are essentially say what you see, nothing else. But certainly mm. with the edgy aspect, when I first started teaching that, I became really aware really quickly that describe questions actually are not just describe questions. They want you to bring in and back, you know, describe something and back it up with an example. So you essentially you are explaining something. So I think it is really important for all subjects, isn't it, to know or for students to know exactly what your command words mean in the context of your subject. Which therefore I think then makes mm. GCSE even more challenging because they've got to do that for sort of ten different subjects, haven't they? Whereas at A level, again, 
they're doing it for three or four. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's, that, that's why I was thinking of sort of the four marker, written down the, the four marker. And I can't remember because I haven't got a paper right in front of me at the moment, yeah. but the four marker looks slightly different. I know that you were saying that there's a sort of similarity with the 12 markers, but yeah. I know the four markers, they can be a little bit challenging um, well, in the sense that they're diff slightly different, aren't they? In the sense you've got one with the, the name, one with the method in context, yeah. and then you've just got the straightforward... And I remember thinking to, I remember saying to students, there's quite like a, if you turn, like, if you think about the question, sometimes it's asking you around a question that's previous. So if you've got that wrong, you've got the second bit wrong as well. Yeah. Like if it's but like again, a, I think, so they tend to be at GCSE, they tend to all start off with identify and explain one, and then it'd be one reason, one way, one method or something. Um, and there's four marks. So you get like um, AO1 for is your identifying, and then there's three marks for AO2. But I think these are really tricky because actually there's a potential to choose obviously more than one, even though it says one. And I think it's really difficult for students who are, you know, 15, 16 to write one thing and get four marks for it. So, if it's, you know, um, you know, explain one reason why um, ethnic minority students um, may underachieve at school, for example. There's a whole range of things that a student can write about, but obviously they've got to pick one, haven't they? And then it has to be the right one they picked. You know, they might decide half of the answer. Actually, I, have, I haven't really chosen the right one here. I think I'm going to start again because I know more about this. Um, and also sometimes yeah. it's not the one mentioned in the items. So for some yeah. students, it might be the one they know. And they're like, oh, it's in the item now. But I think I just, I think it's quite an odd thing. I mean, I think I can kind of see why AQA get uh, doing it because it obviously makes it more rigorous doesn't it is the more that up in the challenge but then when you look at the mark scheme so you've got the indicative content you might have three bullet points of things that they could write about for each bullet point underneath there's a little sentence about what they could write but i thought well even in your mark scheme you haven't actually developed and shown what this a good answer should look like so then it's yeah. all level marked isn't it which i think for, uh, for again for I think students find level marked answers for four markers quite difficult and the the mark scheme is not very student friendly so i think although they always start off with identify and explain and that one thing it's it's a bit of a minefield with students so again it's just practicing isn't it and i was thinking about this earlier about doing some sort of stepping stones activities or maybe some scramble sentences like some of the things that we use in revision blasts would be quite a good thing to do with students to help them sort of scaffold those four markers. So then obviously oh, yeah. after a while you can take that support out and they'll become much more independent with them. I think that's sort of a, co a constant theme there. It's, it's offering that support for those GCSE students, yeah. isn't it? That you sort of gradually, and I think eventually by the time they get into year 11, that that scaffolding isn't needed, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully yeah. because obviously they're going into the exam. But I think that just shows the importance of scaffolding at GCSE. So if you're an A-level practitioner at the moment, you might do a little bit of scaffolding in year 12, particularly if you're broaching different um, style of questions, potentially. Um, but it's not as I think it's so much is so in essential at GCSE because of that scope of ability of students um, and their motivation for doing it. You know, like there's lots of different okay. reasons why students do it. Um, and a lot of them, you know, some of those students might think to themselves, oh, I didn't know what's like we said earlier, didn't, didn't know it's going to be like that. Um, are there any sort of final top tips for those people that are thinking, either thinking of bringing it in they haven't before, someone like me who's not got it in at the moment i've started a new school and yeah. i've brought, obviously got the a level but i haven't brought back the gcse okay. yet i think it, well, I guess 
it depends on the context of you yourself. I mean, as when I when I started when I bought it in, um, I hadn't taught sociology at all. I'd, I'd done it at, um, at university as part of my um, my geography degree. I had to do a second subject in my first year, and I loved it. I thought it was really interesting. And it just happened to be that my school wanted to bring in some bucket, some more bucket three um, subjects for Progress 8 schools. So I said, well, actually, I, I would really like to do that. So I think it is really important that obviously your uh, subject knowledge is up to date and it's good. Because one of the, I think you have to have really good knowledge because that obviously there's a huge amount of discussion involved. And obviously you need to have that knowledge anyway for teaching. But in sociology, discussion is important. And I think that you have to be confident in your knowledge to be able to organise and manage those discussions yourself. So I found um, at my previous school, I um, one of the, we had a timetable revamp half of the year. And they put one of my year 10 classes on one of their sort of one of their five lessons a fortnight on my day off. I thought this is really helpful. So a non-specialist then had to come and teach that lesson. And she used to find it an absolute nightmare. I'd give her the lessons, you know, several days in advance so she knew exactly what she's doing. Generally, I'd try and make it as simple as possible, but occasionally there might be a discussion. And it would terrify her because she didn't have the subject knowledge to be able to sort of run and manage that discussion really carefully. Um, I think what I also would say is first um those people that are trying to set it up and not haven't taught sociology before. It is obviously, you know, we've said it's a challenging subject, but it's also a subject where there are some topics that are really sensitive and that some of the things that you talk about um, when in your lessons, your students might have much more awareness of than you. And I was always really aware of that. So things like if you're teaching about poverty, for example, you know, you might have kids in your class that are, you know, food bank users are really struggling, you know, maybe working a part-time job out of school because they need to bring some money into the into the household obviously divorce is another one um domestic violence i think is really so i think it's really important that you are really sensitive about your subjects when you when you're writing your lessons make sure you're aware of those and what i would say in terms of advice for that one is that speak to your pastoral team so when i first set it up i made sure that i spoke to the pastoral team and the safeguarding lead um, to find out, um, or do it, not really to find out about students, because in some cases they can't give me that information. But I would essentially hand over a list of, of topics that we would be discussing at some point in the year. And I said, look, these are my class lists. I really could do with knowing if there are any students that these this is going to be problematic for. And then depending on, I guess, your relationship with the kids, we had an agreement in place that if they needed to leave the classroom because whatever we were talking about was too upsetting for them they could and it didn't have to be like a hand up and you know we would know that was going it can either be you know you could tell that student that that, that agreement's in place we can get the pastoral team to um during covid actually that was we went through um obviously a home-based learning degree but we also got when we came back from covid just to the point where every single lesson i ever taught was just put on google classroom just in case kids were away which was most lessons wasn't it um, so it all, and I thought well, actually that's quite a good thing to do. If you sort of pop it on in the morning, students can have a quick look at the Google Classroom and see what you are discussing. And if it is anything that they think, oh, I can't be dealing, you know, that's that's too close to to the bone for me, then they could come and have a chat with you or just excuse themselves. So I think it's one of those things that people forget. My first year, I didn't really think about it. I just wanted to write a lovely curriculum that was going to like engage the kids. And it was only sort of my second year I started thinking a bit more about these. Sort of the sensitivities of the topics and you know just i don't know sort of you know how you manage sort of things that kids come out with and i think also the other one that i would say is it's quite tricky to manage classroom discussions because you do have 
some students dominating entirely and you also have to be quite aware that some of the students that don't try and dominate your question your discussions might have some views that perhaps you find a bit questionable or you might want to try and not maybe shut well not necessarily shut down but kind of rein them in a bit so certainly when there's questions about um benef the benefit system so they can be quite vocal about stereotypes it's often that echo chamber isn't it what their parents think and that can be quite tricky to manage um feminism you know i've, I've had boys in the past that are really shouty about that and you know there's all, all these sorts of things that when you're setting up the course you have to think about it isn't just about writing a a curriculum it is a, it's a topic that's rigorous but it's a subject that's really sensitive and has some has some issues that you might not find in other subjects oh definitely i think there's such valid points i mean they're different things that i've considered and i know we've got some talking in a couple of weeks with me about feminism and how we sort of teach that effectively um, and i think as well particularly at gcse maybe not so much at a level not to say that students aren't yeah. aren't um don't dominate lessons or discussions and, and maybe have different ways of presenting their information that might not be um, as effective as they probably would want it to be. Um, I think at GCSE you've got more scope for that because of the fact that they are a lot younger. Um, yeah, and since they're sort of just out of year nine coming into sort of when their first topic might be family unit where they're talking about divorce and a different uh, family uh, diversity and, and talking about maybe sort of same sex families. And so it's really thinking about not just the curriculum offer, but maybe some of the sensitivity issues and so, and also the maturity of the students and thinking about, well, how are we going to present this so they feel safe enough to be able to engage that material, but also making students feel they can contribute without feeling um, judged. Because obviously it's important. That's the importance isn't it, of the critical yeah. thinking in sociology that yes, some of those points are questionable. Uh, they may be or may not be don't know what they're talking about in the lesson yeah, yeah. but but giving them the opportunity to go well, why are you thinking that with and so they can work through that because that's part of it as well isn't it that actually and it's it's just the right way of doing it and i definitely think i think i think sociology is, is different from psh in it i think that's where the advantage is i think sometimes because we have got the theory i think that sometimes gives us that detachment without it i think this or you think this i sometimes think the layer of the theory allows that as a lens so it doesn't feel so personal um yeah. that maybe pshe potentially could have um but yes definitely something i, I know for myself i do email the same as you the, the safeguard lead just say we're just about to do this um just to let you know and i'm doing this with this year group um just in case something arises and so they know and also just from a googling perspective i, I got this with um I teach criminology as well and in the past and i used to have the safeguard league going we've had a group of students googling i don't know uh, female genital mutilation yeah. um and actually i was like oh gosh actually i should just tell you what we're looking at at the moment so they know that's what we're covering um but yes really powerful sort of tool you're sort of using your school community to support you with that as well so some really sort of valid points and i really appreciate your time lots to think about there for those people that either are bringing in gcse or those people thinking of um sort of further embedding their gcse sort of curriculum or someone like me who hasn't brought it back in as yet but maybe maybe bring it in i'm not sure i'm not sure i have to think <laughs> about it um but thank you for your time vicky and um you know, looking forward to seeing those gcse resources you mentioned as well sort of the uh the 12 mark plan so thank you for your time Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. The Sociology Staff Room is brought to you by Tutor2U Sociology. 
Find us at tutortoyou.net forward slash sociology or follow us on Twitter at tutortoyousoc or Instagram at tutortoyousoc. You can also join our very lively Facebook groups for sociology teachers. See you soon. <laughs>